Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. And again, thank you for welcoming me into your house. As you are welcome in our house, from Leonia, myself and my family, we want to pass on our love to you on the other side of this camera. And you've heard me say it last week, and I want to say it again, that we miss you and we dearly look forward to the day that we will be gathering together as one again. Circumstances will not allow us right now. As you know, down here in Victoria and in Melbourne, certain postcodes has gone into lockdown. And also it makes the government nervous to release more people into enclosed spaces. Uh, but certainly know this, that we are serving a sovereign God. And that God that we serve knows about all of these things. It's not as if he is caught off guard or he didn't know about anything that's happening in our world right now. For he created this world. And he says that even the hair on your heads are counted. So you are important to him. Not only does he know what's going on around the globe, the world as we know it today, but he also knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows about your struggles. He knows about your joys. He knows about everything that you're going through. And all we can do is put our faith and our trust in a living God. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth when he wrote to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith. Now that word faith there is really important for us because the definition we find in Hebrews chapter 11, he says faith is a substance of things we cannot see, but we know that they are there. And uh, Paul says so brilliantly for you and to me today, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, and are we living in a world, in a dispensation, which is all focused on sight? We, we want to see it and believe it. But brother and sister, dear friend, we are serving a sovereign God who all we need to do is put your trust and your faith in him. <clears throat> so as you know, we can't get together right now in your place of worship. So for the foreseeable future, and I believe it's going to be a short future, we will continue and I will continue to bring to you the word of the Lord via this medium. And how powerful is the word of God? You see, anyone can preach and discuss and proclaim the word of God. That's how wonderful it is. So for today, I want to talk to you about the altars of remembrance. An altar is a really interesting place if you look in the Old Testament. An altar was a place of worship. It's a place where the patriarchs of the Old Testament came together and they worshipped God. In the Old Testament, if you look, walk through the land and you see an altar, you would know that that was the place where God and man met each other. And man could lift up his hands and he could worship God. In fact, these places of worship, if they could cry out, they would have said to you and me today, it is also a place of testimony, a testimony of what God has done for man and how man had to obey God. So an altar was a very important place in the Old Testament. Not only was it a place of worship and testimony, but it was also a place of communication. 
a communication between man and God and God and man. And today I want to use our passage in Mark chapter 8 to talk about these altars of remembrance. So as you could remember last week, we saw that Jesus restored the gift of hearing and speaking to a deaf and a dumb man, a mute man. And now we're going to pick this up as we go into chapter 8, the narrative, and we're just going to follow Jesus. And as I said before, my dear brother and sister, we are following Jesus through the gospel of Mark to understand who Jesus is and why he came. And already we've learned so much from him. What a savior. What a wonderful Lord. What a, what a security we have in the life and in the times we are living today. So please follow with me in your Bible as we continue in Mark chapter 8. And from verse 1, it says in those days when again a great crowd gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, wonderful to see that wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd of people. Now some of them came for the right reasons, some of them came for the wrong reasons, but we're going to see that Jesus is not worried about the reasons they came, he had compassion on them. And here we find again that when Jesus saw this great crowd coming upon him, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. How wonderful the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. My brother, and my sister, dear friend, let me just say today that he has compassion on you doesn't matter where you are. When he looked over that crowd and he saw the multitude of people, he had compassion on the crowd. Why? The word says, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from afar away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? Now, I just want to pause there. I want you to think about this because I find this absolutely fascinating. It amazes me, actually. Because if you think about the question that these men ask him, how can we feed these people? And it says there in the word, how can we feed these people with bread here in such a desolate place? Now, why does it fascinate me? Because if you could remember just back in chapter 6, we had the same event happening. But way back then, it was 5,000 people, if you remember. And they only had five loaves of bread and two fishes. Now Jesus turns to them again and I think, how could you have forgotten what Jesus have done only, only two chapters ago? When there were more people, I, I, I believe the chances is better now, yeah? There's only 4,000 people. There were 5,000 back then. And let me just say, there are some people who say that this is the same occurrence that happened and that, that Mark just repeated himself. Not so, not so. 
I believe that every single word in the Bible is meticulous. We serve a meticulous God. He wouldn't have made a mistake with numbers. Now it was 5,000, then it was 4,000. What happened to 1,000? No, this is a separate occasion that happened. And I believe that it is again a test to the disciples. When he called them together, they ask him a question. They say, it's so desolate here. There's no places to sell bread. There's no houses who can make bread. And then we've got 4,000 people here. And my question is, is, how could they have said this? They've been walking with the master, with Jesus. They saw all the miracles he did. This happened before. He fed 5,000. He made a deaf man to see. He raised somebody from the dead. He made a, a, a dumb man to speak. You are walking with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The son of man, how could you have forgotten so easy? Come on, disciples, I would say, have faith, have just a little bit faith. But then I remembered. Then I remembered that we are the same. That's right. You and I, we are the same than the disciples. Because... Beloved friend, you know, and I must say, and I'm going to be honest with you, that I personally struggle sometimes with this. From time to time, I only see what is in front of me, and I forget what has happened back there. From time to time, I only see the circumstances I'm in, and doubt grab a hold of me and fear grabs a hold of me and you and I know what I've said so many times about fear fear destroys faith and all that Jesus wanted these men to have at this point of time in this circumstance is faith but that faith has been destroyed which happens so many times with you and with me when we see the next circumstance coming our way and we look at it and we see the waves like they saw the waves in that little boat at night at sea. And we forget what Jesus did for us in our past. And that's when we forget the things that Jesus has done for us. And the words that he's given us of security. The source of truth which is Jesus alone when he said, I will never leave nor forsake you. When you turn to your left and to your right hand, I will be there with you. The words that he's given you and me that says he is our rock and our salvation. We forget. When we see the circumstances. When we feel the pain. When we hear about how people are struggling. We forget. Just like these disciples. And then we turn to Jesus and we ask the same question to Jesus and we say, how can we? If, if you notice, look at verse 4. How can one? In other words, how can we? Jesus, forgive me my ignorance. Forgive me my, my unfaithfulness. But have you seen what is opposing me right now? How can I? How can I survive through this? 
How can I see the other side of this stormy waters? How can I see the sun above the clouds? And this is what they say. How can we give these people bread which is feeding in such a desolate place? So please, brother and sister, please, dear friend, let us not point finger at these disciples in this time. And I believe that the Lord has placed this second occurrence there to show us something which is coming back to the altars of remembrance. Because this is where Abram is such a great example for us. Abram, that patriarch of the Old Testament. And I want to show you that Abraham built altars across his journey in the book of Genesis. If you look upon Abraham's life, you will see altars, a place of worship, a place of testimony, and a place of communion with God. And when we look at Abraham and we look through the book of Genesis, we see that there's four major altars that this man has built. And I want to go through those four because you will see that those four altars that he built in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there are four statements, which if you look at them together, gives us a lot of hope and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But while we look at the four altars and the four statements in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I want us to look upon ourselves and see if these altars is in our lives. If only these disciples could have heard this message or could have known about these altars. We're going to see an exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus today. If only the Pharisees could have had these four altars in their lives and look back upon them, things might have been so different. So let's look at the first altar. And I want to call it the altar of obedience. The altar of obedience that Abraham built. And we remember that when Abraham was called by God to move out of his place, the place of Ur in Galdea, uh, a muddy place where his forefathers worshipped foreign gods, where his forefathers and his father, even his father Terah, was a son of disobedience. The voice of God came to Abraham and he called Abraham out of that circumstances, out of those people. And we find in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7 that the word of the Lord says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is when he left his country, when he left that place. Now, compare it to us, when you leave the place of sin and you go to the place that God called you to. Abram left his old place. He left his family and he came to a place. And there he built an altar, which we call the altar of obedience. That's in the Old Testament. Now let's fast forward to the book in Hebrews chapter 11 and we read from verse 8. The word of the Lord says, By faith 
Abram obeyed. You see, there is our word obedience. By faith, he didn't look upon things that he could trust in. He looked upon the unseen, the unseen God at that point in time. And the word says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Translation to our day. We don't know where we are going right now. The next week can change from today. The next month could change from this week. If you look back to July last year, and if I told you that within 12 months, everybody will be sitting in their homes, not allowed to go out. Church will be disbanded. Church will not be the way that we see it. You would have said, preacher, you've lost your head. You've lost your mind. But here we are. Some call it a new normal. Some call it a new world. For some, it's fearful. But all God is asking you is your obedience to follow him with faith like Abraham did. So Abraham built an altar. It's a place of worship. It's a place of testimony. And it's a place of communication with God. And what was those three things for him? It was obedience to God. When God called him out of the place where he was into a new place, he followed God, not asking where he was going to go, but he trusted in God. Now compare that with our Christian walk, with your Christian walk. Have you got an altar of obedience in your Christian walk? Have you got a day and a time, a place where you can say, when God called me, my place of Ur in the Galdeans was my sinful nature, was the things that I did that offended God, is where I didn't hit the mark, Armatia, I was sinning, where I crossed the line which I shouldn't do, have done, I've sinned against God, but when I heard His voice, and he said, my son, my daughter, come, come unto me, that you responded to him in faith. Brother, sister, dear friend, do you have that place of worship in obedience to God? Do you have that testimony in your life? That you've laid down the old life, repented of your sin, hold on to the Son of God, the Son of Man, and ask for forgiveness, and He saved your soul. That testimony, have you got it? Have you got the communication through the Holy Spirit in your life that you are saved and your soul is secure in Him? It's the place, it's the altar of obedience. And when you get the altar of obedience and you walk through life and you look back when things are insecure in your lives, when faith and things of God becomes blurry in front of you, all you need to do is look back and say, come what may, I've got an altar, the altar of obedience. And that's my foundation for faith.
You see, the second altar that, I, that Abraham had was an altar which we call the altar of the pilgrim walk with God. Remember this altar. The altar of the pilgrim walk with God. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, we find this altar. He says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So he moved on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called it upon the name of the Lord. You see, on his journey, Bethel, the house of God, I is the place in between, in this journey from one to another. He built an altar, the altar of the pilgrim walk with God. Brother and sister, I know that when the Lord saved our souls that we secure in Him, I absolutely believe that. That's what I hold on to, that I'm in His hands and that the Holy Spirit seals me in His hands. I know that while I breathe now, while I live, but while you and I are still alive in this body, we are walking this pilgrim road. We are walking this pilgrim walk with God. We are in between in between our spiritual birth being born again and the place to be with God when finally we're going to blow out our last breath or the Lord comes and He receives us unto Himself. And across this pilgrim walk, we build up more faith. Our faith gets challenged. It is between the place where we need to be or where we're going and where God saved us. This is your everyday walk with God. But you see, Abraham made this a permanent thing that he can hold on to. He made this a place of worship. He made this a place of testimony. His life is a testimony. How is your life today? How is your life? Is it a testimony unto God? Or is it a testimony unto yourself or unto others? It's a place of communion with God, this altar. You see, as we go on your pilgrim way, we have communion with God. I talk to him every day and he talks to me every day. I seek him and I find him. And his arm is not too short to help and his ear is not too short or deaf to hear. So the question here, and, and as I move now on to the Sporodent verse in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, he says, By faith, there is our word again, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. This is an altar, my dear brother and sister, of the pilgrim walk of God. Now, let's compare it with your and my Christian walk. If we look back upon the time since the Lord saved our souls, we have the altar, first of all, of obedience. Then we move on to the altar of a pilgrim walk with God. Have you got those altars in your life? 
It is critically important in the times that we are living now that you can have these foundations that you can look back upon when you go into the mist, into the fog of the future, which you can't make day or night. You can't identify what's going to happen. One thing is for sure that when you look back, you know where you come from, the altar of promise and the altar of the pilgrim walk with God. As you walk by faith and not by sight. You see, we learn a lot from Abraham. But there's a third altar that I want to bring to your attention. And that's the altar of separation. This is an important altar. The altar of separation. We find in the narrative here that he had a nephew who was with him, Lot. And when Lot was with him, Lot was just one of those who just attached to him. And let me tell you in life, I know a lot of people who just attach to churches and to ministers. They are there by association, not by birth, into the kingdom of God. Lot was one of those. And there came a time that Abraham had to separate from that. And we read this account in Genesis 13, and you can go and read the whole account. But I want to come to the altar where he says in Genesis 13, 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is after he separated from Lot. What did he separate from? Lot was after the things of the world, the riches of the world. Abram separated from that. Lot was after the cities of this world, the entertainment of the world. Abram separated from that. Lot was after the beautiful, beautiful landscapes and everything which came closest and the valleys of the cities. Abram separated from that. Then eventually he's separated from Lot. This is an altar of separation from the things of the world. It's an important altar for and to the child of God. We find the correspondent verse in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10. He says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. This was talking about Abraham. <clears throat> talking about separation from this world. He didn't look down on the world. He looked above him. He looked upon God. He says he was looking to a city where the designer thereof and the foundations was God. This is an altar of separation from the world. You see, how does this compare with your and my Christian walk, dear believer? If we look back when our future looks uncertain, when the world is burning because of riots and, you know, there is a lot of evil plans that's going on for mankind. 
which is coming to fruition in the world, when that fear wants to grab a hold of your heart, it's then that you look back and you see the altar of obedience and you remember. You see the altar of a pilgrim walk with God and you remember. And then you see the altar of separation from this world and you remember. What do you remember, preacher? You remember to have faith, unshakable faith and trust in the Lord our God. Why, preacher? How can you say that? Because if he was there at altar one for you to worship him, for you to have a testimony with him, for you to communicate with him, he was there at altar number two for the same reasons. He's there at altar number three for the same reasons. You see, I haven't got strength in myself to, to build this altar and to sacrifice on this altar of separation. That is why you don't do it by, by strength, but by faith in faith in the Holy Spirit. Have you got the altar of separation? You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. These are important things. And then I want to come to the fourth altar this morning. And that is the altar of sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice. And we find this altar, as you remember, when uh, Abram was sleeping and the Lord started talking to him and he said to him, Abram, you see that son of yours, Isaac, I want you to offer him to me. That was a difficult time in Abram's life. Now, let me just say before I go to this altar, if you look at all three, the other altars, those were difficult times in the life of Abram. None of these things comes easy. Death is never easy. Death of old habits is never easy. But to come to something that you love the dearest and have to sacrifice that, that stuff. We find the account in Genesis chapter 22. And you can again go and read the whole narrative of this. But when you come to verse 9, he says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built an altar there and laid the wood on order, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. This is the altar of sacrifice. We know what happened. Abram was going to kill him. He was going to offer him to God. And then God gave his own, the Bible says. God provided his own. What a beautiful picture. But this is the altar of sacrifice. The Consporidens verse in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. When he was tested, our faith will be tested, dear brother and sister, friend. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall come the offspring, and he will be named. And this was Abraham's faith, that he would have killed Isaac and believed that God would have raised him up. 
because God made a promise. The promises of God is yes and amen for you and for me. But we have to come to the, the altar of sacrifice. Lay it all on the altar. Again, I want to re remind you of, of Paul's words in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 now. Where he says, I beseech you. It means I urge you, I beg you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Where do you do this? You do it at the altar of sacrifice. This is the ultimate where that thing that is so dear in your life, and for some people it is life itself, you lay it on the altar of sacrifice. You give it to God. So my beloved, let us remember in our current day where you are sitting today, I don't know your circumstances. I don't know how and why the Holy Spirit took me down this path to preach in the middle of Mark chapter 8 about feeding 4,000 to talk to you about altars. But as you're going to see, it's going to come all together with these disciples. But let me talk to you today. Today, when it's called today, I want you to look back and identify the places of worship with, with God, the places of testimony with God, and the places, the places of, um, of testimony and what God has done for you. I want you to look back at the altar of obedience, the communication what God gave you there. If you look back and you see the altar of a pilgrim walk with God, if you look back on, on, on these places where you come from, you see the altar of separation. And as you move on, you see that altar, the altar of sacrifice. So do not lose heart. <clears throat> My question is, do you have these altars in your life? If not, pray unto God and ask Him to to through the Holy Spirit help you. Because the Holy Spirit, my dear friend, is your and my strength. It's your power. It's the one who come alongside us and he help us. So let's look back at these disciples. Jesus looks upon the people and he's got compassion with them. And he came to these men and he says to them, what shall we feed them? We can't send them back. They're going to faint and they say to Jesus, if only we have food, we could feed them, but we haven't got it. What shall we do? What have they forgotten? They've forgotten the altar. They've forgotten what Jesus already did. The places where they had to surrender and in faith walk with God. No doubt a lot of them, when they look back, would see the altar of obedience when they decided to follow Jesus. No doubt they will see the altar of a pilgrim walk with God because they are walking with Jesus right now. No doubt when they look back, they would see that they are at the altar of separation. But he's still working on them. And they would have seen this sacrifice. But they didn't have the faith that they required at that point in time. So we continue in the narrative in verse 5. He asks them and says, How many loaves do you have? This is where the penny should have dropped. Ah, oh, we remember. 
How many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples set before the people and they set them before the crowd <clears throat> and they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should sit before them and they ate and were satisfied. You see, this is it. When Jesus provides to you and me, we will always be satisfied. We will always be satisfied. There will always be ample enough for your needs. Not your wants, but for your needs. And these people were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Remember when they fed the 12, uh, the 5,000? 12 baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmutha. And now we continue walking with Jesus in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. There was an agenda behind this testing, but we will come to that. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Very good question. Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, these Pharisees, as soon as he came back, they were on to him. Because you see, they wanted to test him now. They wanted to throw more questions at him. They cannot deny the proof of his power. They can, couldn't deny it. all of the things he's done, all of the accounts, the eyewitnesses that spoke. The 4,000 people would take, if it was a court case, they would take the stand and they would say to everybody about what Jesus did. If they go into and, and they get this man who was deaf and mute and put him on the stand, he will say the power that Jesus used to heal him. Everybody, there was ample, there was enough witnesses against them. So they could not deny his or the proof of his power. Thus, they chose to challenge the legitimacy of his power. Where did this power come from? That's what they challenged. And that's still what they are challenging today. You see, people do not want to accept that this power comes from God today. People don't want to accept Jesus Christ and what he can do in lives. And it was the same with them. They challenged it. They already said he was doing these things in the name of Beelzebub. They already said that. So they, they challenged that. Not only that, they challenged the trustworthiness of his character. Isn't this the man from Nazareth? Look at us. We've studied in the universities. You know, we sat under Gamaliel, one of the, the, the most cleverest Pharisees that there could ever be, and everybody acknowledged it. We come from the universities. Look at the role here. Look at all of our degrees. We know the scriptures inside out. Who's this man from Nazareth? You see, they, they challenged the trustworthiness of his character. He's only a carpenter's son. 
And he's just coming here to make money. He's coming here to make fame. He's coming here to take away all of the people from us. This is why they tested him. Not only the legitimacy of his power, but his trustworthiness, but also the authority behind his acts. This is not from God, they would say. This is from the devil. So they're challenging the authority in which Jesus stood. Never listening to him. But, you know, it's the same today. People don't want to listen to the word of God. They don't want to follow the word of God. The pure word of God, the Bible. I showed you in one of the Bible studies that that's the attack from the enemy from Satan. He will attack the deity of God. Same thing here. And he will attack the word of God. Same thing here. The vials of the enemy is the same. And they came to him and you see in their eyes, he was blaspheming, standing in the power and the authority of God. Now, let's finish today by looking at Jesus's reaction. How did he react on this? I know how I would have reacted, but how did Jesus react? He walked away. That's so simple. At this point in time, we read it right there. He said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you that no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them. He got in his boat and he went over. He, he went away from them. Now, some of you might say, well, that's a sign of weakness. Why didn't he debate them? But I would say by far not. It's not a sign of weakness. You see, there comes a time when the debate is over. The debate over spiritual issues is over at this point in time. Because they would not listen. Now, I recall I had a man who was disputing me about a sermon that I preached. And um, he posted a lot of questions to me about the sermon. And I answered these questions. Truthfully, I went back and I said, well, this is what the Bible said. This is what it said. No, it's not only this man. I've had a few over my time being a minister of the word of God. But I recall this particular man who came and, uh, and I answered all of the questions he's had. And I, and I saw that he wanted to debate the questions. Now, there's one thing about the word of God. It's not debatable. The word of God stands in truth. And the word of God... Um, I wanted to say protect, but the word of God um, proves itself. You don't have to prove or defend the word of God. It stands for itself. It's not my interpretation of the word of God that's going to make things better. It's not my skills of debating points. And, you know, you win a point if you debate well. Nothing, nothing of that matters. The word of God is the word of God. And it, and it defends itself. God doesn't need you and me to defend him to be God. He is God. Well, with this particular man, you know, it, it went on and on and, you know. And then I came to a point where I realized this man doesn't want to debate anymore. He wanted to destroy me. And this is the same that happened to Jesus. They didn't come there to debate with him because they wanted to know again, or they didn't know, or they wanted to help them. They came there to test him, to destroy him. And sometimes, dear brother, dear sister, you can talk until you can explain and debate until the end of days. 
But these people aren't there to, to be helped with this or to get the answers. They are there to destroy. And I had to make a decision to break fellowship with this man. And over my lifetime, if I look back, there were a few others as well. Where if you stand on the word of God, that's all you can do. Well, Jesus walked away. The debate is over. No more to debate. And now all that will count is what happens in the future. But you see, I want to suggest to you that these people, these men had facts in front of them, which they denied. First of all, there was the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. What more signs did they look for? There was the death to hear, the, the mute to speak, the blind to see, the, the dead to be risen up, the storms to be calm. Jesus walked on water. What more do you want? Oh, but wait a minute. I think they were talking about a sign which Elijah did in the Old Testament where he called fire from heaven. Devout the offering in front of the false priests. Jesus wasn't going to do that. Didn't have to do that. Didn't have to prove anything to them because they were there to destroy him. Even if he did call fire from heaven, they would have said it is from the power of Beelzebub and they would still challenge his character. So sometimes, dear brother and sister, don't feel bad when you just have to walk away. Just do what Jesus did. You see... He said to them once that they will get the sign of Jonah. Let's, let's just see this in Matthew 16, 1, which is correspondence to this happening here. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and they tested him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. From heaven. Bring down the fire. Well, let me just say, you won't be able to handle the fire if he brought it down. So say thanks goodness at that point in time. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. When, um, and in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You who know to interpret the appearances of the sky. You who know that. And, and let me just say, with all of the things that's happening in the world right now, COVID-19, you know, the move of the uh, one world government and it's coming, it's coming. I believe that, you know, there's powers working behind the scenes, a one world church, a one world government, a one world army, a police force, a one world, all of those things is happening now. And I know that there's things happening, you know, with dismantling of police and all. These are all signs of the times and I absolutely am not ignorant of that. And he says, you can see all these things. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You cannot interpret this. You can see in nature, but you can't interpret. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? It was Jesus who died for three days dead, like Jonah was in, in the belly of the whale. And then Jesus risen from the grave. They had it. They had it. It's in their books. If they can go back to their prophets and read it, the book of Jonah, it was there. When Jesus had said that, they should have taken a, a mental note, make notes, go back, study it, and then realize this is the Messiah. This is the true one. This is Jesus Christ. And they should have just 
fall on their, on, on, on their faces and worshipped him. But they did not. And it says even there in Matthew's account, so he left them and departed. He just walked away. So two things that we've learned today in this message. First of all, the altars of remembrance. I want to suggest to you that these Pharisees, no, no, let me not suggest it. I want to tell you that these Pharisees did not have an altar of obedience where they come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They can't tell you of that. They're obedient to themselves in their own laws and their traditions. That's what they're obedient of. I want to, I want to tell you that these Pharisees and Sadducees did not have an altar of uh, the pilgrim walk with God. They didn't have this altar. They can't rely and go back on this, onto this altar and talk about this altar because they didn't have it. They didn't have the altar of sacrifice, uh, uh, of separation first. They didn't separate them from the traditions of man and from their sinful lifestyles. They continued in it. And they didn't have this, the altar of sacrifice. This is why they were still walking and debating with Jesus and fighting him instead of submitting to him. Now, next week, we're going to look how Jesus, as he's on the boat going away, he's going to describe and discuss the Pharisees. Makes for interesting reading. But let me end today by asking you in the camera today. What is the remembrances you've got? What is that thing that fears you the most today? Give it to Jesus. Cast your burdens unto Jesus. He cares for you. Higher, 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 higher. Higher, higher, love Jesus higher. Now I can't sing because I've got a little bit of a sore throat, but I think you get the picture. Wider, wider, Jesus' love is wider. So what do you do? Cast your burdens unto Jesus, because he cares for you. May the Lord bless you, my brother and sister, until we see each other again, maybe in this for a format or, you know, face to face. Hold on to your faith, trust God, believe in him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that we have security in you, Lord. I thank you that you are our anchor, our rock, and our salvation. And for that, Father, today we want to walk in faith by faith. We want to trust in you, Lord. Father, we don't want to debate you, but we want to submit to you in obedience. And we want to walk with you this pilgrim walk by separating from this world and to sacrifice our lives on your altar. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.